0: Let me pray, and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for this time this morning to worship you. Would these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer? The Holy Spirit, speak to these, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, In Boston, there is a memorial. There are a lot of memorials down in Boston, but near Beacon Street and Park Street, I think it's in front of the State House, there is a uh, a bronze memorial to uh, Colonel Robert Shaw and the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry Regiment. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen this. Uh, Well, the 54th was the first African-American regiment to fight in the Civil War, uh, and they're actually from the Boston area, from the New England area. And I recently watched the movie Glory. I don't know if some of you have seen Glory. Uh, it was one of the better movies I've watched recently, uh, late 80s. And uh, at the, uh, Matthew Broderick is the main star, and, and in the beginning of this movie, he reads a proclamation to his newly forming uh, regiment. He reads a proclamation that Jefferson Davis uh, put forth in the South. So he's the president of the South. And this proclamation said that if you were an African-American soldier caught fighting for the Union, for the North, you were to be put to death. So you weren't to be treated as well as the other white soldiers for the Union. And also, if you were a captain or a superior officer for a black regiment, you also were to be shot and put to death. And Robert Shaw Shaw says, you know, I I doubt there are going to be many people here in the morning. Uh, He kind of is willing to turn a blind eye if people want to desert. And he comes out the next morning, and this whole regiment is still there. And all of his captains have stayed, none of them have left, because they all are fighting for something very precious. Not only are they fighting for the Union of of the states, they're fighting for freedom. They're fighting for freedom for their fellow soldiers, for their fellow enslaved people in the South. And this regiment had to go through a lot of um, tough circumstances, tough experiences, according to the movie. Uh, They weren't really treated well by the other regiments. They were looked down upon. Uh, they were fighting for respect in many ways. And it, the movie leads up to the climactic scene uh, at Fort Wagner Wagner near Charleston, South Carolina. So many of these slaves that were fighting on this regiment were actually from South Carolina. They had run away. And lo and behold, they go back to South Carolina and they are attacking a fort. And the, the major, whoever's in charge, says this is going to be a dangerous, dangerous attack, but we, we, we need a regiment to kind of be on the end of the spearhead, to be the first ones in to uh, distract and keep the fort busy while the rest of the regiments attack. And of course, no one wants to do it because the first ones in are going to experience the, the most heavy losses. And Colonel Shaw, played by Matthew Broderick, says it would be the, on- the honor of the 54th, it would be their honor to lead this charge. It was their honor to fight for freedom, to win the freedom for their fellow enslaved people in South Carolina. And many of them do die, around half of them. And the movie portrays that. Today, as we're reading the Bible, we're also in a type of battle for freedom. And this is a battle that is precious, that is hard. It's a daily battle, not for our uh, religious or political freedom, but for spiritual freedom. For freedom from an oppression that doesn't come from a religious institution, it doesn't come from politicians, it actually comes from our own hearts. The the greatest threat to religious liberty, in one sense, is not a political movement, it's ourselves, because we like to say, you know, here I have to do a whole bunch of things in order to please God. I have to work hard. We enslave ourselves in order to please our Savior, in order to kind of earn our salvation. The heart is deceitful and it says, you must do better or God won't like you. And so there's this battle in our hearts between freedom, between trusting in God and trusting in ourselves. In Galatians, Paul tells us that we can either live free or we can live enslaved. And now in Galatians, we're in chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. We're going to be reading through them and uh, we already read a selection of them earlier, but Uh, We read about Abraham. Paul refers, so Paul's the author of Galatians, and he refers to Abraham, who was the father of the Hebrew people. And in this story, he starts by describing Abraham's two wives, Hagar and Sarah, and each one of their sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And see, Abraham had descendants that were both free and that were both enslaved, And they tell us about this war in our hearts, about this battle for freedom. Abraham had two sons born two different ways. I'm going to read the first three verses, 21 through 23 of Galatians chapter 4. So here Paul is speaking. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Abraham had two sons born two different ways. In this, he is writing to Galatia. He's writing to some people, uh, but he's also writing against some false teachers. So some false teachers, as you all have learned, have come into the church, and they're proclaiming that you really have to go back and obey the whole law in order to be a true Christian. And Paul here is saying, no, 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 that's not the case. You have to trust in God. Now, the argument of the false teachers is actually pretty simple. Their argument is, if you don't obey the law, you're not a true child of Abraham. And so that would have kind of been an insult uh, because all the Jewish people, uh, you know, they, they found their hope, a lot of their heritage in Abraham And and, and Paul says that, you know, those that trust in Christ are the true descendants of Abraham. But here their argument is saying, well, if you don't obey the law, you're not a descendant of Abraham, you're not really saved. And Paul's argument is just the opposite. Paul says God's children are those who trust God over themselves. Tim Keller in Galatians for you phrases Paul's argument this way. Paul's basic point is the moment you believe in Christ... You were the children of Abraham, the heirs of all the promises of God, and the moment you start thinking you have to obey the whole law, you are not the children of Abraham at all. So once you trust in Christ, you are a child of Abraham, and when you start thinking that I have to do a whole bunch of good deeds in order to be saved, well then you're no longer a child of Abraham or you weren't in the first place. Now, to make this point, Paul goes back to the story of Abraham in Genesis, and that's actually what we're going to do this this morning. We're going to look back at Abraham. Now, Abraham uh, received a promise from God that he would become the father of a great nation. And I want to read that promise to you. So, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God comes to Abraham, and he's called Abram in this section, and he says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go forth from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, God is saying to Abram, Abraham, he's saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. There's going to be many people that come from you. There's only one problem, and this is a serious problem. He doesn't have any children. And he's getting up there in age, and so is his wife, Sarah. And so, of course, you can imagine that he struggles to trust God. Abraham is an authentic believer. He struggles with doubt, And so, Abraham considers adopting uh, one of his servants. uh, he he believes in God's promise that he's going to make him a great nation. He says, well, how is this going to happen, God? uh, Should I adopt a son, one of my servants, and he can uh, be the person through whom I have a a great nation, that many people come from me? And so we were in Genesis 12, and now we're going to Genesis chapter 15. You're welcome to follow along if you can flip that fast. Uh, Genesis 15, 4 through 6. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. So referring to the adopted child, the son. This, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look, it up, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, Abram. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So here, God says, you don't need to adopt this. this child. If there was any doubt, is going to come from you. He's going to be your own flesh and blood. Okay. But of course, Abraham still has doubts. He still has struggles. The argument that Paul is making here is that God is calling upon the Galatians to trust in him. To trust in God's effort instead of their own. And so Abraham goes on to have two different sons born two different ways. And the first son is Ishmael. And the Ishmael, the firstborn, was born by human effort. Right. So he was born uh, the ordinary way, verse 23 of Galatians 4 says. So Abraham's firstborn was born the ordinary way. So to understand what this means, we're actually going to go to Genesis chapter 16 now. 12, 15, 16. Uh, first four verses. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. This sounds like a bad idea. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years Sarah, his wife, took his Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. See, Abraham doubted God's promises. Abraham doubted that God would save him and his family the way that God does things. And he ends up sleeping with his servant girl. And Paul is writing to the Galatians saying, why are you doubting God's promises? Look at all the pain and all the hurt that comes when we put our faith in ourselves and doing it our own way instead of God's way. And no wonder Abraham doubted. Uh, Abraham was about 86 years old at this point. So God's saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're 86 years old, and Sarah, your wife, is 75, roughly doesn't say for sure, but about that. And she hadn't had any children. And so Abraham says, well, you know, I'm going to, it's through my flesh and blood, so if, if I, you know, marry a, a, a young servant girl, doesn't that complete your promises, God? No. Because that's man's way. That's the, that's the obvious way. Now, Hagar was probably a young teenage woman at this time. So contrast that to Sarah. There's a huge difference there. The ability to bring children into this world. So they have a son, Ishmael. And Ishmael and Hagar, although we're not going to read it, they don't like Sarah. They don't like her eventual son, Isaac. And this, this mistake causes lots of pain. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God condones it. And Ishmael's descendants end up being at war with with Isaac's descendants. See, Abraham put his faith in his own works in doing it his own ways for a moment, and it caused a quite a bit of pain. And the scripture tells us that God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, God had a much different plan, a much more amazing plan. Uh, Ishmael, the first son, was born by human effort, but Isaac, the second son, was born by God's effort. Verse 23 of Galatians 4 also tells us that Abraham's son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. So the free woman is referring to Sarah. Uh, uh, Sarah actually means princess. So uh, she was probably very wealthy and, and, and free. And even though Abraham disobeys God, God's promises are still good. Praise God. Because God still gives Abraham a son, even though Abraham tried to do it his own way. He gives him a son through his wife, Sarah, when she is 90 years old and he is 100 years old. Yeah, it was roughly 14 years between the original promise. Ishmael is born, and then finally, it seems like it couldn't get any later, Isaac is born. Genesis chapter 21 now. So we've gone 12, 15, 16, 21. Uh, First five verses. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham struggled to believe, but God fulfilled His promises God's way. And notice that Abraham had nothing to give; he was a hundred years old. He had a dead seed, for a lack of a better term, and and Sarah had a dead womb. There was biological impossibility. There was, there was no possibility that in their own power, in their own strength, they could ever have a child. And yet when Abraham believes, even though his faith you was know, sometimes shaky, it says he did believe God and God credited him righteousness in Genesis 15, when Abraham believes that God is going to bring about his promise, what type of belief is that? That's actually resurrection hope belief. Now, what is the resurrection? The resurrection is this idea that Jesus died, he was really dead, and then he really rose from the grave. He rose out of death into life. And that, even though we stand 2,000 years after Jesus, we believe the the same thing, roughly, that that Abraham believed about 2,400 years before Jesus. Because Abraham believed that God could bring life out of death that God could produce resurrection life, that he could produce this resurrection baby, that there was nothing in Abraham, only deadness, and there was, only, there was nothing in Sarah, only deadness, and he could, out of that, produce life. That's the type of faith Abraham has. See, Isaac is a resurrection baby. He is a baby that was born out of death, into life, out of a biological impossibility, and can you think of any other baby that it was biologically impossible for this child to be born? That's right, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was a virgin. She had never been with a man. She would never been with her husband. And yet she conceived and bore a child through the power of the Holy Spirit, And this is the story of Jesus, and it starts in Genesis. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 21 that God could bring about a resurrection baby. And so, like Abraham, Paul is saying, Galatians, are you going to trust in your own strength? Are you going to trust in God's strength and God's power? See, we can either trust in our effort or God's effort. Now, there are some ways that we can apply this as a whole church body. See, Emmanuel Church is planting a daughter church. We, we talked about that earlier in the announcements. Uh, Cornerstone and congregational church. And the temptation for Cornerstone is to trust in our own plans and our own efforts to bless our church, to grow our church. We've put a lot of work in, you know, we, mission, vision, values, uh, meetings. We have multiple teams. We have, uh, you know, great welcome and a, a great music. And we have all these wonderful things and it's a temptation to look at them and say wow this church is gonna succeed because look at all of these great things and what we need to remember is to look at God and say no it's not our effort that brings about any fruit it's God's effort And there's also a temptation for Emanuel church because Emmanuel is losing many people roughly 30 to 40 people from this church are gonna go and start this new church cornerstone this fall and the temptation for Emmanuel is to say you know what, we're going to be okay because we have VBS, we're going to be okay because we have Upward, we're going to be okay because we have Awana, and those will draw new people in. And those will fill the empty slots that are left, the the budget shortfalls. And so we as Emmanuel Church need to remember that, no, God is the one who takes care of us. It's not just our efforts, it's God. It's the Holy Spirit that can come and bring more people And I think for Cornerstone, like, we really need to take Hagar to heart because Hagar was kind of the the young one. She was the the teenager. And we at Cornerstone are kind of teenagers, and it's a temptation to to, to think, well, we're going to be the, you know, the the young ones where everything uh, happens, where all the action is. And God says, no, I'm going to bring about life through Sarah. And praise God that God has used Emmanuel Church, a church that I believe is over 100 years old, to have a baby. (laughs) To have Cornerstone. Really cool. See, God cares less about the age of his people. cares more about how they trust him. Put their faith in his effort instead of our own. So Abraham had two sons born two different ways. And he has... He had two wives that represent two different paths. Let's look at verses 24 through 27 back in Galatians. Now, these things may be taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, You who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Abraham has two different wives that stand for two different paths. And the first path is trusting in self. It's walking a path that says, I'm going to put my faith in my own works. And this path leads to slavery. Now, Hagar uh, stands for Mount Sinai. Now, what is Mount Sinai? So when uh, Abraham's descendants, he had uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, eventually gets to Joseph. Then they went to Egypt, and in Egypt they became enslaved in bondage. And then finally Moses comes along, the prophet, and brings them out of Egypt uh, to Mount Sinai where they receive God's law, where God speaks to them. So the Ten Commandments, we get them at Mount Sinai, and then we get the rest of the law as well. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so God gives the law to Moses. And it's interesting because Paul is saying, well, you know, Isaac and Abraham, they're not from Mount Sinai. Sarah's not from Mount Sinai. It's Hagar. Now, why would they say that? Well, if you remember from Genesis chapter 16, did you guys hear where Hagar is from? Hagar is an Egyptian slave girl. Hagar is a slave girl from Egypt. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, he's saying, when you return to the law, when you say, I'm putting my faith in my own actions and and having to obey all these rules and regulations, you're going back to Mount Sinai, you're going back to Egypt, you're going back to bondage. You're, You're enslaving yourself to all these things that you have to do in order to please God. And Sinai represents the present Jerusalem because this is a common belief. There were many Jews who were still trusting in the law instead of trusting in Christ. And when we trust in our own works... We're enslaved because we, we put our trust in a system that says you'll never be good enough. I don't know about you, but when I find my value in how good I act or my performance, I always fall short in some way. That's slavery. That's bondage. Path one, trusting in self, leads to slavery. But thank be to, thanks be to God, he provides another path. Path two is trusting in God, and this leads to Freedom. Hagar leads to slavery, but Sarah, well, she represents heaven. She represents the Jerusalem above. And Paul says, you already belong to the Jerusalem above if you trust in Jesus. You already belong in heaven. So why are you trying to climb the ladder to heaven if you're already spiritually there with Christ? All you need to do is trust God. Put your faith in him. And we actually see that in these verses. Verse 27, which uh, maybe your Bible has it sort of indented as a a different paragraph. That's a reference to the Old Testament. So Paul is quoting the Old Testament. Uh, But in this verse, there are three commands to trust God. Or uh, they're the words, be glad, break forth, and cry aloud. They're pretty much just saying, uh, trust in God. Find your joy in God. Don't find your joy and your happiness in yourself. Find Find it in him. And this verse actually comes from Isaiah chapter 54. So Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. Now, the book of Isaiah, I feel like we're doing a survey of the Old Testament this morning uh, because we, got, we started at Abraham, then we went to Egypt. And uh, several hundred years after Egypt, so the people come out of bondage, but they find that they don't obey God, they don't trust God, uh, God sends them back into bondage. God sends them back into slavery in Babylon. And this verse, uh, which Paul is quoting, is a promise to those exiles in Babylon, about 600 years before Jesus, that says, rejoice, God will restore you. Paul is saying, rejoice, Galatians, trust in God, not in yourself. He is the one who restores you, who gives you life. And how do we know that this reference is sort of a reference to Christ? Well, Isaiah chapter 54 verse 1 comes right after what chapter? Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is all about the suffering servant. It's all about Christ Jesus, the one who is high and lifted up. It's an Old Testament passage that points directly to Jesus that was written long before him. And so Paul is saying, trust in God, and the only way that you can trust in God is through the suffering servant, it's through Christ Jesus, instead of yourself. See, path two is trusting in God, and that'll always lead to freedom. It'll always lead to joy. We can either trust in self or we can trust in God. Now, when Monica and I were dating, uh, I guess we're still dating, uh, we went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, uh, and we met there, but we went down to Gordon College. So we went down on a date to Gordon College. Uh, It's down the street about two miles away, and we went to something called the Gordon Globes. Now, the Gordon Globes are kind of like a mini film festival, I guess, at Gordon College you have to submit videos and, and they choose the best and they play it for the whole you know school and everyone gets dressed up. It's a fun experience. And there's one video that really sticks out in my mind. And it was about a girl who was going through their outdoor program. So at Gordon College they have like an outdoor excursion program. I think it's called La Vida something along those lines. I'm just looking at Jimmy and he's nodding. Uh, and and uh, as part of this they do like team-building exercises and they did something called a trust fall. Now if you know what a trust fall is, it's kind of where you, you stand on like a park bench or a rock and you put your hands over your chest and you fall backward into uh, people that are going to catch you. And it's a tr- trust-building exercise between you and them is you trust they're going to catch you and, and they, they trust that you're going to fall right. And, and she's, she's freaked out, she's scared, and so she does this trust fall, but then she finds out this is the most wonderful thing in the world. And so she tries to do trust falls all the time. So she's at the library, and a friend walks by, trust fall. Uh, she's in the cafeteria line, and next to a friend, she just yells, trust fall, and then falls backwards. Uh, or she sees a cute boy walking by, Trust fall. And of course, in the movie, she ends up falling over a lot. She ends up stumbling over things, dropping her food, things like that. Because she's putting her trust in the wrong things. And see, this is what we do when we trust in ourselves. We say, will you catch me, my good behavior? If I, if I put my trust in you, good behavior, will you catch me, trust fall? Or when we put our faith in our family, in the way that they act, we say... Will you catch me? I'm, I'm going to fall on you. Or, or when we say, you know, career or our school grades, and we say those things are the things that give me value, that give me worth, trust fall, we're falling on the wrong things. Instead of trusting in these things, instead of trusting in our own works, God calls us to trust in Him, to fall into His arms instead of our own. See, when we trust in our own good works, we become slaves. This is Paul's argument to the Galatians. You're going to become a slave if you trust in yourself. But God's family is fundamentally different. God's family is a free family. God's family is not an enslaved family. God's family is a free family. Verses 28 through 31. Now your brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. See, God's family is a free family, but those who live under law fight those who are born free. Now, I can't preach this sermon in good conscience without one reference to the 1966 lion movie, Born Free. Uh, Maybe you have seen it. It's about a lion cub that's born free, but then taken into captivity and doesn't know how to kind of live in the wild, and so its trainers have to train the lion cub to go out and to hunt for itself and to scavenge uh, and and to, to live. You and I are born into captivity, And we actually sort of need to be trained to live free. We need to be trained to to trust in God's works instead of our own. And there are two ways that we can be trained uh, to do this. Well, there there are multiple ways. Uh, One of them is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, you're trusting in yourself, trust in me. Put faith in my efforts instead of your own. The second way is the gospel. See, the gospel reminds us, when we remember the gospel, it's the good news that Jesus took the punishment, that Jesus like, went into slavery on our behalf so that we could live freely. And the only reason you and I are free is because we have Jesus' life as our own. That the life of Jesus Christ belongs to me, that he paid for my penalties, uh, paid for my sins on the cross, and I get all the freedom, all the joy, and everything he has all the rewards and all the benefits. And so any feelings that I get from my good works that I, that I can say, wow, I really feel good because I performed well today, well, it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish because that doesn't count anyways. What counts is Jesus's life, not my life. And so when we remember the gospel day after day after day, we learn to live in freedom instead of in slavery. And yet, this 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 point of view, this world view that you need to perform in order to please God, is constantly at war with us, trying to poach out our freedom. Now, uh, many of you heard in the news this week that Cecil the lion Cecil the lion was lured from a, a wildlife rec, uh, sanctuary and killed. And actually, in my hometown of Estes Park, Colorado, when I was growing up, uh, Samson the Elk had a similar thing happen to him. Uh, He was actually on YMCA property, and a guy came in and killed Samson the Elk. So we made a nice bronze statue of him. And uh, Scripture warns us. It warns us that, uh, for lack of better terms, that there are people that try to poach out our freedom, poach out the freedom that we have in Christ, that they don't want us to live freely. Verse 29 says, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. See, law people can't stand grace people. Ishmaels don't really like Isaacs. People that trust in themselves instead of Christ can't stand those who live freely. So how do I know if I'm an Ishmael? I want to know. Well, do you look down on others for not reading their Bibles or praying as much as you do? Are you always judging others for not acting as a proper Christian should? Do you make your family members, your friends, feel miserable for not living up to your expectations? Are you constantly disappointed with yourself because you just haven't been good enough today? Us Ishmael's sound sort of like religious bullies. And boy, us Ishmaels need God's grace. So what's it like to be an Isaac? How do I know if I'm an Isaac? Well, do you love God and know he loves you even when you don't obey perfectly? Do you live for Christ not to earn God's pleasure, but because you already know God is pleased with you? Do you give your family members and friends grace when they make mistakes? Can you receive God's love, joy, and satisfaction, even if it's hard? Notice that we're all Ishmaels. We all are enslaved. None of us are Isaacs naturally. And this is why we need God. And guess what? The scripture gives us a great deal of hope because it says you're not going to always be struggling with the, the inner Ishmael in one sense. Verse 30 says, the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. That's in one way a warning that if if you find a lot of joy in living for yourself and and, and, and imposing uh, law on others, there are many benefits to that, but that will not last. The Bible says that Christ will return again and he will separate Ishmael's from Isaac. But that's also a promise of hope that everyone who trusts in Jesus can take hope that one day you'll finally be free. One day you will be a perfect, not only Isaac, but a perfect reflection of Christ Jesus. Let's find hope in that. Let's take encouragement that this will happen. God promises to take Ishmael's and make them into Isaac's if you trust in him. God's family is a free family. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace and that you take broken people like me and like these, your your flock, and you make them whole through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to remember Paul's words, to live freely, to trust in Christ instead of our own effort. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please rise for the benediction, the blessing? Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Be blessed. Amen.